Hey, thanks for being here. On the way in, you uh, received a couple of things from us. I would love for you to pull out that little book uh, that you received uh, today. It's going to be super helpful. We want you to take that with you when you go home. It has a ton of information in there that we think is really, really important. And then also, I think you received a listening guide on your way in, opportunity for you to write some things down as we open up the scripture together. When we started Bayou City six years ago, uh, we did not want to be a typical church, a place where you could come, sing songs, hear a message, pray a little, go home, feel glad that you came to church. Uh, We wanted to do more than that. So to do that, we can't do typical things. And we want to want atypical things. Um, Like we have always believed in miraculous provision, that God would supernaturally provide for us. And it's been that way since the beginning. The month before our very first service as a church, I was on the phone in my office with uh, another would-be church member, and we were making a $5,000 decision. And uh, $5,000 may sound like a lot to all of us, um, and it was definitely a lot to us back then. We didn't have really $5,000. And it was one of those decisions that was going to be really, really great if hundreds of people came on our first Sunday and really, really stupid if 10 people came on our first Sunday. And so we were trying to guess, is this a good decision or is this a stupid decision? So we prayed on the phone and we said, let's go for it. Uh, We'll do it. And I was sitting in my office. This, This is not a church office. This was my regular job that I had before, you know, the church even started. And I on my computer, and just about five minutes later, somebody walks into my office, says, I was praying this morning, and felt like I should give you this. Hands me a check for $5,000. Miraculous provision. Here's how I define miraculous provision. When what I need is beyond what I can do or arrange for myself. When what I need is beyond what I can do or arrange for myself. If you're a guest with us uh, today, um, today is a little family moment. If you don't mind, we're going to talk about some family things. I think it would actually be helpful to you. I think you'd want to know this information if you were considering that this was the place that God uh, wanted to plant your life. Um, But as a church, we need miraculous provision. Um, As we turn the corner into 2018, we need miraculous provision to do the things that we feel God wants us to do. If we just want to keep doing what we're doing now and become a typical church, we're fine. If our goal is just to pay bills, have a good time, listen to sermons, sing songs, pray a little, go home feeling better about ourselves, we don't need any more provision. We're doing great. But to do the things that we believe God wants us to do in 2018, we need miraculous provision. For the first three months, Next three months, good. Uh, December, January, February, we know we can do the, all that God has put in our hearts for the next three months, no problem. And again, if our goal is just to pay bills, we're good forever until the Lord returns. But if we really want to do what we believe God has placed in our hands, after three months, we're going to need God to miraculously provide for us. Something is going to have to shift. And I believe that it is. Now, we're talking about money. Some of you are like, I hate money. Talk at church. This is, this. I knew it. I knew it. I came to this church because you didn't ever talk about money. And here we are talking about money. Well, let me just set you free. 
you don't have to give a dime. And I won't know. Right? You don't have to. And I say that biblically. Paul says to the Corinthians, you don't give because you are compelled. You don't give because somebody put the screws to you and put pressure on you. And if you feel any of that today, then keep your money. I would say that it's not your money. So be careful about keeping what (laughs) God has given you. But theoretically, if it was your money, keep it all in your wallet. Please. But we need miraculous provision. And if we start talking about money, a question that all of you should be asking, well, is what are we going to spend it on? If, if we're going to go above and beyond paying bills, what are we going to do with that? Well, I look around the world and you look around the world right now, and it is obvious that the world needs to change. It is broken. And we know that ultimately when Jesus returns, he is going to make it whole again. And until then, he is making it whole through us. So we don't just sit and wait for Jesus to return. We wait and we work at the same time. And he brings that wholeness to us. And as we look around the world, it it needs to change. And I am more convinced than ever that we really can change the world one person at a time, starting with Houston and then to the rest of the world. And we do that in three ways here at Bayou City. You see this in your, your... guidebook that we've given you today. There are three sentences that mean the most to us here. We want to be a church with a radical focus on Jesus. What that means for us here at Bayou City, we set Jesus in the middle and then everything takes a step back. Everything takes a step back. There's no one A, one B, one C, one D, one E, one F here. There is one. And then there's everything else. A radical focus on Jesus. We want to serve Houston and we want to serve the world. I am convinced if Jesus moved onto my street, all of my neighbors would know. It wouldn't take them six months to figure out that he had moved in. It wouldn't take them six years to figure out that he lived there. They would know instantly that Jesus moved in to the neighborhood. And I think it should be the same with his followers. I think everybody on my street should know that a Jesus follower lives there not because I preach to them, but because I benefit them in his name somehow. And we believe that about our entire church. If 12715 is the physical address for Bayou City Fellowship Cypress, then everyone along this street should know that we are here. So we want to serve Houston, we want to serve the world, and we want to start new churches. Now in 2018, that's going to take four specific emphasis. And you can see those on the screen. We want to concentrate on gospel generosity. We want to concentrate on leadership. We want to concentrate on new churches. We want to concentrate on improving these spaces that we're sitting in now. You have a reputation for gospel generosity. You may not have known that. We didn't send that email out to you this week, but you do. There's an organization that uh, their main purpose is to embed future missionaries into a local church. So then the local church comes around them, loves them, trains them, and then sends them out to Iraq, Afghanistan, wherever it is that they're headed. This organization doesn't have any churches in Houston. They have lots of churches all over the country, but they didn't have any in Houston. They wanted to get in Houston, so they started calling churches in Houston. Hey, this is what we do. This is who we are. Um, What steps should we take? And church after church that they called didn't say, come to our church. They said, you need to call Bayou City. 
Oh yeah, call Bayou City. They'll be totally into that. They'll love that. And we do. And we are. You have a reputation for gospel generosity. We, we believe in partnering here. I believe that God can make us great at just a couple of things. And then we can be mediocre at a million different things. So instead of being mediocre at lots of different ministries, what we say is, God, who have you made great at this thing? Who have you made great at fighting the orphan care crisis around the world? Who have you made great in fighting homelessness and cycles of poverty? Right? Um, and how can we resource them, both financially and physically, to do the thing that you've made them to do so we can keep doing the thing that you've made us to do? We love to partner here. I found out from two of our staff members even this week that in December, uh, two of our partners are going to recognize our church as their distinguished church of the year. Because not only do we love to partner, we want to be really great at it. And you are really great at it. We care about the gospel and the generosity that goes along with it. There's a people group of North Africans living outside of Marseille, France. So they were from the mountains of North Africa and they have migrated to right outside Marseille, France. They have their own unique language. They have their own unique culture. They're living outside this major French city. And according to all of the missions experts around the world, there is no gospel witness there. there there's no church there. There's not even a Christian there who has been discipled enough to actually be telling his own people or her own people about Jesus. And we're adopting this people group. And it's our goal that in a year, five years, ten years from now, not only are there Christians from this North African people group living outside of Marseille, France, but there's a vibrant church meeting in house or houses. Because we believe in the power of the gospel. And we want to put our money where our belief is. So we're going to focus on increased gospel generosity in 2018. We're also going to focus on leadership. I was reminded of how important leadership is. Even last night, I attended this event. I was listening to a pastor teach. And this pastor has been influential in my life. I don't know him personally. I've never met him. But his writing and his teaching have really shaped my life. And as I was listening to him, I was thinking the very sad thought that a year from now, I will not remember one word that he's saying tonight. Just like you're not going to remember one word that I'm saying today and you don't remember what I talked about two weeks ago or four weeks ago before that. You remember that it was great, I'm sure. But other than that. And so I'm thinking about this while I'm listening to him. I'm not even going to remember what he's saying. But what I will remember is that I want to be like him. I want to read the scripture like the way that he reads the scripture. And I want to pray and I want to speak and I want to be as passionate as he is. Because that's what leaders do for us. I mean, in just a second, we're going to turn together in the scripture to 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And in five minutes on your phone, you can have every possible piece of information that you could ever want about 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. We don't need leaders to give us information. Not anymore. We need leaders to call out of us the things that God has created us to do. To become the people that God wants us to be. To take that information that we can find anywhere and help us apply it and make it real in our lives. So here at Bayou City, if you are only interested in being an attender, this is not the church for you. 
We don't want to be a church of attenders. We want to change the world in Jesus' name. And to do that, we need leaders. We need people who are going to say, I don't want to give the bare minimum. I want to do what Jesus has said and give the maximum. I'm not withholding everything to keep for myself. I want to give everything. We need leaders. We need people who are saying, I'm going to take the next step. And then I'm going to take the next step. And then I'm going to take the next step. And at some point, I'm going to turn around and say, who can else can I help to take their next step? We need leaders. You also want to start new churches. Right? Uh, in your guide, you see a map of Houston. You can also see it on the screen. These are places that we would love to have Bayou Cities one day. We don't have some mechanism or machine in place that uh, spits out perfectly formed churches and metrics that we know when we reach this and then we go and do this. We just want to be led by the Spirit each time. But our heart is that we would have Bayou Cities all over Houston. Why? One, because we could never buy a place big enough and good enough to invite the whole city to come and have church with us. But this way, we cannot just add people. We can multiply people all over town. Doing this also lets us shape each church according to the neighborhood that it's in, which makes it more effective in reaching people. All of us have invited people to church. If it's a 30-minute drive for them, they say, well, maybe, maybe. But how many more people would, it, would come with us if we said, oh, it's just around the corner. It's a five-minute drive. It's a 10-minute drive. It expands our reach. It's also statistically proven that a new church is more effective at reaching people for Jesus than an existing church. And it's not because the new church has something special that the old church does. Uh, best case scenario, all of us in here today will invite 10 people to church in the next year. Facebook, in person, friends, stranger, family, 10 people max. When you start a church, you invite 10 people the first week. And then you invite another 10 people the second week because you're worried that the first 10 people aren't going to come back. So it's not that the new church has something special that the old church doesn't have. It's that you and I are part of building something and because we're a part of building it, we're more engaged with it. We're not just attenders, we're builders. And we invite everyone that we know. Some of those people say yes. Their lives are changed. They become a part of God's family. That's why we want to start new churches. We've been talking about this for a while and here we are just with the same two churches that it seems like we've always had. And I believe what God is doing is laying a foundation and we'll come to a point where we're able to start doing these one right after the other. But first he has to lay the foundation. And I think that's what he's doing now. But our hope is to start some new churches in 2018. And finally, the last thing we want to focus on in in the coming year is to improve these spaces. You know, buildings are never the goal here at Bayou City. Buildings are just buildings. But there is something special about a home. That's why you don't live in your dorm room at college anymore. Right? You move from an apartment, and then from an apartment, your goal is to move into a home that you can call your own because there is something inherently special about owning. Um, and we need more than an address. We need more than physical space. We need some spiritual space because without it, it makes starting those new churches really, really hard. Um, 
you know, we just stumbled upon this property here, really. We were meeting here, if you remember, just renting it. And the owner said, we'd like to sell it. And, uh, and so we prayed and fasted, called the church to get together to pray and prayed. And we believe that this was a great purchase. And we know that because during the hurricane, we had a giant warehouse, which people from all over the country could send us things. And we could fill it up and people could come and find help. And we're using it to the best of our ability so far, but it has so much more potential. You know, right now we have hundreds of kids just down the path in a building that we don't own, an Alamo. Not very many churches have an Alamo, but we do. Right? <laughs> and they're learning about Jesus. They're applying their own faith. Um, but we don't own that. And, and it's our heart that they would meet in a place that we do own. And we can make it not just usable, but useful to them. And so we would love to have space for them in the warehouse. We'd love to have better space for our students. If there's one thing that we're great at here, it's having kids, as baby dedication is showing. And those babies turn into big kids, and those big kids turn into teenagers. And the goal is that the teenagers would go away to college. And then when they come back from college, they would say, I'm ready to be involved, not just in my parents' church, but in my church. I want to use my gifts. I want to become a leader in the church that I was raised in. That's the hope. And so we want to make these spaces as usable and useful as possible. You know. But again, buildings are not the goal. There's not some golden statue of Jesus that's going to be out there that we spend a million dollars on. You know, we believe in uh, usefulness, excellence, and minimalistness. Right? And where those three things come together, that's where you'll find Bayou City. Useful, excellent, and minimal. The buildings are important. But if we were just doing maybe what a typical church did, we would sacrifice the mission and the gospel generosity just to have a little bit nicer home. And we're not going to do that here. So those are the four things that we're counting on. And if we just want to pay the bills, we're fine. But if we want to do that, we need miraculous provision. That's why I want you to open up your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 4. This is one of my favorite stories in all the scripture. It says in verse 1, One day the, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of oil, she replied. And Elisha said, Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house and with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she replied. There aren't any more, they told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left over. The anatomy of miraculous provision. How do I recognize it when it's happening to me? The first thing that we need is need. Need. Verse one. One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, my husband who served you is dead and you know how he feared the Lord, but now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. A widow has her two sons 
They owe a massive debt. The debt collector is going to come, take her sons. Now they're slaves. Now she will not only be a widow, it will almost be as she's childless. We're trying to eliminate need from our lives. That's what most of us are trying to do. Trying to eliminate that feeling of need. We're trying to make more money, have more things to insulate us from the feeling of need. But what happens when we eliminate need for our lives, we eliminate the opportunity for God to miraculously provide for us. See, what's the difference between need and want? Need is connected to what God has asked of me. Want is what fills in the rest of the blanks. God has asked this woman to take care of her two sons. This is his will. This is what she knows. God will miraculously provide for needs. But a lot of us are just always asking God for our wants. And then we wonder, God, where are you? All of us in the next year will ask God that question. God, where are you? But we have no need. We only have wants. And so we miss out on God's supernatural, supernatural provision. That's why the bigger your bank account grows, which is a positive thing, the bigger your vision for your life needs to be. The bigger your vision for your impact for God's kingdom needs to be. Warren Buffett should still feel need if he wants to see God interact with his life. So the more you have, how are you going to use that for God's kingdom? Because we can't have miraculous provision unless we have need. And we also need faith. Verse two, what can I do to help you? Elisha asked, tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and your neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. This woman exhibited faith in two very specific ways. First, she offered the tiny flask of olive oil that she had. Think how brave she would have to be to do that. She got the creditors bringing down her neck. The stakes are high. Her sons are going to be taken away from her. Elisha says, what do you have in the house? She says, the only thing that I have is this flask of olive oil. And Elisha says, give it to me. Give it to me. Do this. Make an offering of it. Uh, if she was like me, she would be thinking, but what if God, but what if God doesn't do the miracle that you're promising? I just poured out all that I had left and it is fast forwarding the days until I lose my sons. At least with that flask of olive oil, I could stretch it out. I could, I could have a few more days, a few more months, however long it would last. 
but you're asking me to give the only thing that I have. But she did. She offered what she had. Second thing that she did to show faith is she was willing to go and get as many jars as possible. That was the miracle. However many jars that she had, the olive oil kept flowing. Miracle. But when there were no more jars, there was no more oil. Think how foolish she must have felt the first time that she knocked on that door. Uh, Yeah, can I have a jar, please? Why do you need a jar? What would you have said then? Because if you're like me, you don't want to say, well, I'm super poor and I have nothing and I have all these debts and my sons are going to get taken away from me. I'd want to play it super cool. Like, oh, I got like a project going on and it's just like, I'll probably give it back one day. I try to make a deal. Like if you give me the jar, I'll mow your yard or I'll, hey, you do this. I'll owe you a solid. I would try to keep my pride up and get what I need. But most of the time when it comes to miraculous provision, your pride has to hit the tank in order for the miracle to come. That's why a lot of us aren't seeing God's miracles because we don't want to admit that we need them. Can I borrow a jar? First house says, yeah, sure. Sure, it was a humbling moment for her. Then she went to the next house and the next house. Here's the question that all of us need to wrestle with today. How many jars would you have brought? If most of us were just trying to play it cool, we would have brought a few when the miracle that God had prepared was as much faith as she had, as many jars as she was willing to find, that's the amount of oil that came. So when I look at the, we feel great about three months, but if we really want to do all the things that God wants us to do, we have nine unchecked boxes. Those for me are nine jars. That's an opportunity for God to do a miracle for us if we want to be more than just a typical church. Our very first service at Bayou City was at a Christian school that had a beautiful chapel. And uh, we had a team of 50 people who had stepped out and said, "We we want to start this together. The chapel had 550 seats. I know that because I counted them all. When you only have 50 people, all I saw was 500 empty seats. Uh, so best case scenario, we doubled from 50 to 100 people. You still have 400 empty seats. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to step out and do this and feel like a failure on week one, you know. So, so we're praying and we're meeting. And, and I say to our team, I said, should, should, we, should we buy curtains? Because if we buy these curtains, we can shrink the room. You know, we can make it where it's just 50 seats. And then if like 60 people come, it will be like, oh my gosh, this is so great. I mean, forget about the 500 seats right behind it, you know, the curtain. But we can make it feel real small. And so we can put 100 seats in there. We, I mean, we could really do a lot. And, and the whole time that we had been meeting, we were talk, talking about faith. And we had been talking about believing God and Him using our lives and and here the leader was saying like, should we lack faith right now? I feel like we should. I think we should give God a very small target to hit. And they just looked at me like, we made a terrible decision in following you. 
You talk, will our old churches take us back? Will our, you know. and, and so, you know, we didn't, we didn't buy curtains, but, you know, that's a real battle for all of us is, are we going to try to have faith, but then minimize the, the risk? You can't do it. You either have to go all in or just stay out. There is no such thing as faith and a safety harness. Doesn't work like that. And this woman, she said, I'm going to knock on every door and get as many jars as possible. I don't care who knows my story because I need miraculous provision. And the last thing she followed me through. She followed through. It says in verse 7, When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. God did this miracle, and Elisha's word to her, Now pay your debts. If this story had happened in America, God would have done the miracle, and then she would have went on vacation. Or she would have bought a TV. Or some new furniture. But it was pay your debts and then live on the rest. There has to be follow through. When God does a miracle for a need, we don't take that miracle and spend it on our wants. We have to follow through. We can't be careless in the aftermath of miraculous provision. We have to do the things that we wanted to do when we were praying to God. Say, God, this is what we need. So where do we go from here? We can be a typical church. We can just keep paying bills. No problem. But if we want to do more than that, we're going to need miraculous provision. So number one, we're going to look to God. God is our provider Math is not our provider. Church formulas are not our provider. You know, instead of just having this message right here, I could have gone to a conference that would have taught me how to trick you into giving me money. They have those. I mean, they don't word it like that because nobody would come to that, but (laughs) that's what it is. But we're not doing any of that because we're not looking to each other to miraculously miraculously provide for us. We're looking to God and we're looking to God together. But we've learned from our story that we also want to offer what we have. She had to give the flask of olive oil for the miracle to happen. The little guy had to give his lunch to the disciples who gave it to Jesus to feed the 5,000 people. God often does a miracle through very ordinary and regular things. And so we want to offer what we have. Um, Specifically here, we have some very smart people who help us with the money. and, And they've done the math. And we need about 400 more people to raise their hands and say, I want to give regularly to Bayou City. If just 400 people would do that then that will be how God miraculously provides for us. But, uh, I mean, just think about how much you 
like your money, not love your money, but you think about how important it is to your life and for your family. And so to get 400 new people to say, hey, I'm gonna give regularly and sacrificially to God's kingdom through his church, that's a big deal. That's a miracle. So we need about 400 new people. And that's the miracle that we're, we're asking God for. God, would you stir that level of generosity in people? Right now at Bayou City, 20% of the people provide for the other 80%. So most of our money is given by just 20%, just very, very small number of people who are giving sacrificially and regularly. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in the 80%. I don't want to be in the 80% that was just just a taker, spectator. Because... There's only one thing better than praying and asking God to miraculously provide for you and then he does it. There's only one thing better than that. One thing more faith invigorating. And it is that someone else would ask God to miraculously provide for them and he uses you to do it. That's the only thing better than God providing for you is him using you to do that thing. I mean, think about most of the prayers that we're praying. We're praying, God, do this for me. God, do this for me. God, do this for me. I need this. 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 And then he's doing it. Like most of us are living lives that are way better than we could have imagined when we were 21. And yet we are still saying, God, where are you? I'm bored. Why am I not seeing the things in the book of Acts? I want to experience that. God, why are you not moving in my life? Why are you not, you, why, 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 why? Because we're just going, God, this is what I need. 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 And we need to stop and go, God, would you use me to answer someone else's prayer? If you're bored today, ask for less and give more. You won't be bored anymore. Give more of your time. Take less of your time for you. Well, I just need some me time. Just need some me time. Just need some me time. Jesus said, use your me time to take up your cross, die to yourself, and follow me. That's what Jesus thinks of your me time. So your, your me time is boring you to death spiritually. The only thing better than God doing for me is God using me to do for someone else. So that's the appeal today. Don't give because you ought to. Don't give because you feel compelled. In fact, don't, don't do that. Give because your church family is praying for a miracle. And God wants to use you to be a part of that miracle. So somebody's got to offer their flask of oil today. I'll say I'll go first. Amanda and I will go first. But hopefully your flask is ready as well. But we are going to look to God because God is the one who does miracles. We're not looking to math today. Looking to looking to God. So if uh, you're able, would you just join me on your knees? If you're not able, please just sit in your seat. But I just want us to pray together, you know. Enough of the sermon. More prayer. Church would be better if we did more of that. down on our knees today because we're 
we don't want to be a typical church. We want to be gospel generous. We want to be a church filled with leaders. We want to start new churches all over Houston. We want to have spaces that our kids, grandkids can come and own their faith, be the light of the world in their future jobs. So let's just ask God to provide for us today. And here at Bayou City, we like to all pray out loud. So if you wouldn't mind just joining me right now, let's pray. God, would you provide for us? us to be his people in this world to change for Jesus name let's pray for our neighbors here in Cyprus maybe your neighbors specifically us to and you know what's ahead and you know what we need and so we're asking for what we need today we pray you would miraculously provide for us we look to you we look to you we want you to get the credit we want you to get the honor we want you to get the glory we want you to get the fame so do this miracle for us, God. So that we can be more than just average. We want to change the world for the greatest name that there is. So help us. Give us what we need. In Jesus' name. And everybody said,